Hi, and welcome to our podcast, There's No Business Like No Business. We'll have conversations with all types of people in the live events industry to see what's been going on, or not, over the last year, and what hopefully we'll be looking forward to soon. We'll expand this a bit to see how the COVID downturn has affected our friends in the worlds of performing arts, travel, and hospitality. As a matter of fact, we'll talk to just about anyone. Here to guide us along the way are your hosts, Dave Eveson and Andrew Douglas. Happy post-Easter, everyone. That's, that's, where right. you, that's, was, where you, that's where you jump in and go, yes. That's where ha- I jump in and say, yes, it was a happy Easter. Maddox was extremely happy, and I... Why was he he's happy? Not that, he's not that tall yet, but he was bouncing off the ceiling yesterday. <laughs> was that just chocolate? I, it, it was. Every single time I, I thought we had given him enough, uh, his uncle gave him more. <laughs> I think I know so, his uncle. I think I know his uncle yes, is capable of, of doing it on purpose. Yes. Well, they were both sitting on the child side of the table, on the kids' end of the table. So that that's kind of how it how it happened. There was uh, plenty of chocolate. So I I, uh, I experienced something I haven't experienced in years. I got a, a note on Easter Sunday morning with a clue in it, and it wasn't from my partner. It was from my partner's daughter, who for years and both my boys when they were growing up would always get. Easter bunny clues and they would go on a hunt and they would find the next clue and the next clue. And I always thought that was the most fun thing to do. And I would be up till two o'clock in the morning while everybody was sleeping and I'd be making these clues and printing them out and hiding stuff around. And so uh, my partner said to me, Dave, aren't you going to do that again this year? And I said, ain't no way that's going to be possible because (laughs) 20 years old, I am not going to keep doing this. That's not that I'm 20, but who I was going to do it for. Her and sure. her boyfriend were supposed to get a, a, a an Easter egg hunt, and I'm going. No, that's they can go out for a beer or something. It's, we're past that age, so I said no. And I wake up the next morning, and lo and behold, there is a clue in an envelope waiting for Belinda and I, and we went on an Easter egg hunt. That's fantastic. It was amazing. I felt like a kid. I too was bouncing off the walls, but uh, what, what were your eggs filled with? Little mini bottles of scotch? <laughs> no, but we did. We here's showing my age. The first one was a uh, a case of or a box of six Heineken zeros. <laughs> there you go. That's well, responsible yeah. Easter hunting. <laughs> so that's and then uh, uh, we got to the next one. I think they went around the house and found things that they should they thought we'd be interested in and they'd hide them. So we got uh, some New York magazine, New Yorker magazines that we'd actually were, were putting out to the recycling. Uh, there was, what the heck? Oh, a bag of chips that they had bought. Actually, they bought the bag of chips, a bag of like uh, Dorito chips. Was it, and, was it open? <laughs> no, no, <laughs> but I could guarantee that within five minutes after I found them, they were open and it wasn't me opening them. So... <laughs> So, but it was fun. It was a lot of fun. I uh, congratulate them for for getting the wherewithal together and going and do that. And they they actually said to us, I guess I should have realized in the uh, the night before we were all up late. I think we were watching a hockey game or something. Go Leafs, go! By the way, 
And uh, they said, what time are you getting up in the morning? And don't get out of bed before 8.30. So I guess that's that stupid. People who, who are really bad at trying to hide stuff say things like that. And I don't mean that she's very stupid. She was actually a very brilliant, nice girl. But people who... Some people can't keep, can't. keep secrets. They can't. Can't, can't hold it. Yeah. yeah. They're just too excited about it. You know, and it's, I, it's... I am trying to keep a secret of who our guest is, actually. So it's, it's also very exciting. So, You know, at some point, you're going to have to give up that secret. I will. So maybe I will do that now. It's someone we both know for a long, long, long time, and... She co-hosts a podcast uh, called Give Her a Microphone. And I will put a link in our webpage uh, for this podcast so that you will uh, be able to link to hers. A very uh, strong proponent of women in industry, especially the one that she's in, uh, which is in the film and television, which is somebody we haven't had on yet. We have not had anybody from the film and television industry. So. Very true, very true. This yeah. is fantastic. And uh, uh, so we are going to introduce her now, but she's, she's standing up, she's sitting down, she's so excited. She's going, I think there's somebody driving their pickup truck with, I guess she's having construction <laughs> built next door. But anyway, we're going to just go anyway. It will, it'll be like- Well, back hold on the- just a second. We've got gardener issues. Hold on. Did the gardener not get my clean feed? <laughs> <laughs> it's an added bonus. Hey, it really is. Wait, wait, wait. wait. This can go on for just a minute. Sorry. We're oh, not going to edit this out. <laughs> we we are so recording this. <laughs> I, I like the Ruben. Hey, Ruben. <laughs> so how long? Like, right, the dog. Wait a minute. Hey, Ruben. Can it? Like for fuck's sake. We know. Oh, the and there's our first oh, swear word. And we have yes. an explicit <laughs> congratulations. <warning>. Fantastic. <laughs> we've we've been waiting for one of our guests to swear, and lo and behold, there we go. Oh, no, okay. it's you know, it's it's life in L.A. It's Should I even are, introduce you anymore? No, my name's Karen Summers, and I'm your cousin. <laughs> and I've got a potty mouth. Okay, so Karen Summers is an award-winning producer, director, DP, camera operator, and photographer. Karen is owner, operator, executive producer of Karen Summers and Company, a bi-coastal production house based in Los Angeles. Karen and her team create documentary specials and series inspiring branded content, behind-the-scene doc content, and commercial campaigns on behalf of clients that include Hollywood studios, broadcasters, streaming platforms, social media platforms. As, as I'm reading this, I'm getting trying to get that deeper voice. Uh, government agencies, social impact organizations, and Fortune 500 companies. Disney, NBC, Universal, ABC, PBS, Amazon, Stars, Netflix, FX, and Recording Academy, AARP Studios, the Hilton Foundation, Northrop Grumman, and many, many more. Ladies and gentlemen, Karen Summers. Hey, welcome, Karen. Uh, really quick. Hey, Dave. Nailed it. Nailed it. <laughs> you know what? That's, that woman. Good Lord. That's my first read through. I wasn't bad. I joined. Not, not bad at all. Not bad at all. No. It was better was once you got into the trailer voice in a world. In a world. Karen Summers. In, yeah. In a world. In a world where Karen Summers has a gardener named Reuben. <laughs> Can it, Reuben? Damn, Reuben. The upside of all the sunshine. 
as Andrew knows, um, is the sunshine. The downside is, is that there's a constant series of gardening that goes on all year round. And so, you know, LA basically just rolls out to the sound of the thunder of gardeners and their, you know, mowing or blowing machines. It's one of the two. It's a consistent um, play in, in all of our subconsciouses. It is. We, we have that same kind of thing. uh, And I think there was a Sunday we were out and blowing the leaves and stuff around here. And somebody complained because it was Sunday and yeah. And most people around here have their own gardeners, like apparently Ruben. Uh, I don't have uh, one person. Actually, I do have a person that comes in and mows and stuff, but, but occasionally they aren't around and I just think the yard looks messy. So I'll go and do it. So people don't expect uh, homeowners to be out doing their own things on a weekend. They expect Oh well, you should have a guy come in and do this yeah, <laughs> during the week, yeah. during office hours. Maybe when it's not you, disturbing Mr. Us. Lawyer Buddy, but not lighting <laughs> right. tech guy. Right. Me, anyway. right? Anyway, on COVID vacay. Yeah. yeah. Well, Andrew knows this because you were you were in the Southern California, uh, yes. as I recall, for quite a while. So I'm sure you went through the gardener phase of Southern California living. We actually didn't because we were, uh, while we were in the greater San Diego area, we were in Ramona, which was high desert. And so Uh, the only gardening that I did was spray off my, my turf. That's all I did. You know, I know why you sprayed off the turf because you had two dogs in a very small turf area. That is correct. Yes. Oh my! Well, I'm I'm going to paint a quick picture of where I am because I I actually one of one of our guests uh, on my podcast did this the other day and I thought it was such a delight. So I'm sitting in my office, uh, my home office in Los Angeles, in an area called Woodland Hills, which is very hilly, beautiful area, trees, mm-hmm. beautiful area, and I I'm wearing a uh, salmon colored cardigan over a white T-shirt. <laughs> I do wear glasses and I've got long brown hair and I I identify as she and her, and I'm the owner and founder of Karen Summers and Company, and I'm sitting on a folding chair uh, on my cluster fluck of a desk, uh, or beside my cluster fluck of a desk. So that sort of paints the little picture of sort of where we all are at this particular point in time. I, I was going to start saying, we should probably get into a little bit of your history, but seeing as we're doing a fashion bit, I just want to say that I am wearing yesterday's pajama bottoms. They're plaid blue. I have last night's uh, sleep white uh, t-shirt, which I, I wear until probably Friday, and that's, that's laundry day. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I actually had a shower and put on a clean shirt for this. But uh, I, I love that salmon sweater. I like that color. It's just killer. Thank you. Speak, it, yeah. Speaking of colors, I listened to your webcast, or your podcast, rather, and I was absolutely enamored by your colorist. Because that was a... the, 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 even though I'm in the lighting and Andrew's in lighting, the, to understand the science of color is something I didn't even really know existed. Oh, I don't Joe do film. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. I'm glad you say. Her. I'm glad you said her last name because I wasn't going to really attempt that. But Jill <laughs> was was incredible. What a guest you got out of her. 
Oh, she's, yeah, she's remarkable because her whole family works, not her whole family, but um, a couple of generations of her family now have been working in the color industry in mm -hmm. film and television. And her dad was one, you know, designed the chemicals. He comes out of being Kodak. a chemist and designed, yeah, at Kodak. So when she did the Joker, she was sharing her sort of tips and tricks on how she went down the road of coming up with these wonderful sickly colors to kind of help define the tone of, of the main character's madness. Yeah. And she went to her dad and said, look, can we look through the old Kodak color palettes and can we create something really new and really kind of groovy and sickly? And so if, if, if anybody has not gone to hear your podcast that will hear. Yeah. So if you do see one person go over to yours, if it goes like, bing, one more download, you know that that, that person is the person that listens to our podcast. So, yeah. You, yeah. but if, if any of our listeners do get a chance to, to go and listen to uh, uh, Karen's podcast, go to the colorist one, because I, I had no idea about yeah. what a colorist was, even though, yeah. like I said, we're in lighting. So that was a, a thrill to listen to. And her dad is an Academy Award winning, uh, yeah. or, or won an Academy Award for his work in color on film. And, and uh, it's, it's crazy that the, there's so many sub-industries of film and television that most people don't know. And well, unless it, you read the credits, you know, uh, yeah. when you're looking at, at uh, you know, the credits of these films, that's when you really start realizing just how many people are working and, and right down to, you know, again, the colorist podcast was fantastic. I had no idea the detail that, that she had to go into, especially, you know, like you said yeah. on the Joker it was incredible. You know, typically on shows like that, you know, on scripted series, the director and the colorist, um, any of the VFX uh, leads um, and the DP are all going to get together. And as you're trying to figure out what the look of things are, and I, I go through this as well too with um, series work that I do for, I'm, I'm a documentary filmmaker by vocation and a photographer. And and all if I have the chance, if we have the budget to consult with a colorist uh, ahead of time, we can kind of work with him or her to figure out what we're doing in the camera as well. Right. Because um, we're, we're shooting with all different kinds of cameras these days. Mm -hmm. and the Aria Alexa Mini for docs for me is a is a big favorite. Um, Cook lenses of all sorts <laughs> is also a big favorite if you can afford them. Um, but yeah, so that, that, that's just part of that. But we did the podcast actually because um, as, as you guys know, you know, women in the industry are still not represented enough. Women um, and minorities holistically are not represented enough in our industry. So um, the worm is turning. I, I do get a lot of calls uh, because I am a female that happens to direct and shoot. I'm a, I'm a working DP um, uh, cam op and a photographer and I do get those calls now because I am specifically a female and they're delighted to see that I, I can actually do my job too. Right. So uh, yeah, it's kind of a, it's an interesting time that we're in right now. So that brings up a good point because I, I felt like we were going to leave this to the end is Karen, what do you do? What, who are you? What, what, like we were talking about all sorts of stuff and, and we really haven't yeah. introduced you as, as who you are in the industry and, uh, sure. and what you do. So can you give us a, a little, well, how many minutes a do we blur. have left? 35 minutes. Yeah. Can you give us about a 34 minute uh, synopsis? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just well, hold back. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I totally get it. So first and foremost, I'm a working artist. I'm a storyteller. And my chosen medium at this point in time is, is documentary filmmaking. And that's uh, features, series, 
um, branded content commercials. Um, I really get attracted to telling stories um, about real people um, and, and expressing that through all sorts of mediums. Um, currently, I am uh, on to direct a feature doc that's actually based out of Pittsburgh about um, uh, just the most amazing human. I, I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about it yet, but um, it is... Nobody uh, listens it, to this anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Oh, that's, that's lovely. Well, yeah. I, I, at three, any rate, um, it, yeah. it's Our about a guy Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's about a wonderful educational activist and entrepreneur called Bill Strickland. And Bill uh, comes out of um, the Manchester district, um, which was formerly the ghetto in, in Pittsburgh. And uh, he became an artist, a working artist, uh, a ceramicist. And from that, he ended up getting into education, an art school. And then from there, he developed a technical college. And from there, he has transformed the lives of um, the kids coming out of that neighborhood and then out of Pittsburgh and then out of Pennsylvania by offering free education to thousands and thousands and thousands of kids um, to help them get out of the insidious sickness that is poverty um, in many of our communities in the United States. And that, that uh, school has now been replicated in 12 different major urban centers in the United States and is getting replicated in large communities such as um, uh, Jerusalem. They've got one uh, in Israel right now. Uh, they're opening another one in Ireland. They've got one in Canada, in I believe Toronto. And so these schools are, are, are going out and making good and helping people to leverage out of, out of really poor, economically challenged situations that they can't seem to get out of. And we all know, you know, how, mm. how tough that is. So, uh, so there's that. I'm working on that doc feature. We started shooting uh, in July and it shut down during COVID. Um, for a whole number of reasons and now we're back up again and i'm also shooting on a, a doc a digital series a doc series about um, monica Lewinsky's experience in the clinton uh impeach impeachment scandal situation it's her side of the story for disney effects wow so i'm DPing and cam opping in that and that's super fun very very interesting and um i'm just about to start a commercial campaign for a client out east that's very education focused and uh we, we shot a campaign during COVID actually for them as well uh, with a, a company called iCrossing, an agency called iCrossing in New York. And it was an interesting experience. It was, it was hair raising and great, very satisfying, but shooting during COVID, which I seem to have been doing uh, through much of it, uh, I, has been stressful and um, great to be back at work, but good grief, I'll be glad when we're out of this. I was just, a, uh, when you mentioned shooting during COVID, um, one of the things that, that I took on during the slowdown was mm -hmm. getting certifications in COVID compliance. And, and I know more about COVID than I ever thought I could know about it. But how was that experience? Obviously doing these shoots, were they, were they tested sites? Did you have COVID compliance officers? Were you, were you working within say the, the IATSE zone breakdown of zones one and two and, or A and B depending on the production and, and how was that experience? Well, I was working in different genres. So, um, the doc, when we started shooting that, um, you know, we were fully masked out, we were getting tested. 
um, just before we were shooting. It was a short period of time that we were shooting, so we had a tiny, tiny team. It was just myself directing. I was also cam-oping with my DP, with my AC, and uh, so we were pulling all different roles in the context of starting to shoot this documentary. Um, uh, so there was regular testing going on, and of course we were, we were wearing all the gear that we should be. When I was doing the commercial campaign in New York, um, which you know originally was ground zero, and New York's very very quiet right now, um, uh, it was interesting because we were we actually my company had to um, insure an entire 25 a 25 story um, building in the financial district in Lower Manhattan first to start, and then we rented an entire floor that was a um, um, a medical uh, office. Uh, it was a fertility clinic. And that was the only medically related environment in all of New York and probably New York State and Pennsylvania that we could rent without having to build out a stage that looked kind wow. of like a hospital. So this was a well-appointed clinic and they were incredibly helpful. We shot over several weekends and we were in sort of virtual hazmat suits because we were shooting with real doctors for these commercial pieces. So the doctors were really the ones, in as much as they're getting regular testings, they were coming from hospitals all over uh, the New York area, New Jersey, uh, Long Island, that sort of thing. And um, so I and my crew at that point was probably about 30 people. So we did have a COVID control compliance person um, on, on set with us um, and did all the things that you're supposed to do as you start your day. You have to show evidence of your testing negatively and then they ask you questions and take your temperature, all that sort of stuff. But we were in full sort of suits as well, trying to keep, just trying to keep everybody safe at that point. And it was still kind of weirdly early stages in, in uh, uh, sorry, the uh, first one that I shot was in early stages. By October, we all had a pretty good idea of what works in certain production scenarios. Right. So, um, and we, we got through clean with that one and that was shooting with the team several times. So I consider myself extremely lucky. So how did you get to, to that stage? What were you doing in March? I had just come off a big campaign. We were in post, we were still delivering another job, um, at that point and we're just at the tail end of it. And I was starting to wonder because it kicked in and I'm just like, oh my gosh, this, it's just, this is going to shut down everything. And uh, through that, I ended up letting go of my post facility. I was renting our production offices in Hollywood, and I let them go once it started to be really obvious that we were not coming back. And lucky for me, um, uh, it, it just all worked out. The timing worked out very well. We had already started looking for new office space. We were going to move. And uh, I just let it all go. And we moved all of our post in with my um, editors with separate Drobos, um, and my post supervisor has been updating between Drobos accordingly. Um, we're going to have a new workflow um, otherwise that's going to go into the cloud. But I mean, just what's, with one what's of a my Drobo? Versions. Oh, it's it's just a server, basically. <laughs> yeah. It's just a, a, you know, with one of my clients, I've got 44 terabytes of media that we're combing through at any particular point. Um, uh, to to execute branded content or commercial work, et cetera, et cetera, for them. And so, you know, putting that up in the cloud, which we did try, was just a, a complete failure. And yeah. pulling it down, because we had editors all over the place, um, having having them work and, and pull those things off, pull, pull, pull down that amount of information was not working. So 
uh, it became a different workflow and, and that's changing up again. We're, we're working on a system of what they call proxies, which is basically creating much smaller files for every single clip. Uh, depending on which client it is, we're, we're creating much smaller clips now in size for our full um, 4K experience clips. And we're um, putting those up in the cloud so that our editors can pull them down and basically edit from these proxies. And then our my post supervisor will take those string outs and then create a full K, a full 4K experience from that. Um, so yeah. does that, do you, that's all coming from COVID? Like that what you're, it's kind of putting things that would have normally happened maybe in the next 12, 24, 36 months has now sort of it's become a necessity. Like you've got to oh, do yeah. this uh, or, yeah. or you can't yeah. keep producing. And shooting remotely. We ended up doing a shoot in the Caribbean remotely with a team that was already um, in, you know, sheltering in place down there. Um, and, and I directed and DP'd um, a shoot over Zoom with this team and it worked out really well. Um, they couldn't get their hands on the same kind of cameras we were, we were using, but thanks to our, our colorist and um, <laughs> our audio person, you know, we were able to um, match things really pretty well to the cameras that we had here, but that was a unique experience. Um, I, you know, my overall note with any of the other producers that might be listening to this that maybe haven't shot in COVID yet, is that you've got to allocate about another 30 percent 25 to 30 percent in your budget um, when it comes to all the gear that your teams are going to have to use and throw away and use and throw away then there's the testing protocols and having extra bodies on set um, for example the series that i've been working on with disney effects which is done through um, ryan murphy's company here in hollywood um, I am doing the what is essentially a combination of the behind the scenes and the documentary pieces that support Monica Lewinsky's story of the Clinton impeachment uh, scandal. And it's a fascinating gig. Um, I shoot behind the scenes on the set uh, with this team. And I think there must be, I don't know, there's got to be 150, 200 crew people that have to get tested on a regular basis. Mm, and yeah. we're often tested on shoot days as well. And they track you according to who you've come into contact with during the course of the day as well. And I'm, I'm buried, I'm embedded uh, with the camera team, um, which also is the audio people, um, uh, the photographer on the set, and I'm shooting those things. And they've been really good at their COVID protocols. Like you're not allowed to go on set um, at all without a full visor um, without specific masks. Um, and then you have, they had 22 people, which are sort of formerly out of work PAs, uh, now getting um, all the COVID training and they go around during the day, all of these, all of these folks, and you get your hands cleaned on the hour. Um, if you walk onto set with your visor up instead of down, you'll hear a, a loud shout from several people <laughs> on the set. And then, you know, also proximity, you know, we, we mm -hmm. try to keep that safe social distancing, but quite frankly, that's impossible to do when you're in the cluster fluck of, of a camera team, you're hip to hip, you just are. And, and so being just very aware of what direction you're talking to someone and how, you know, not shouting, yeah. not, not yeah. hurling expletives so that you, you know, your spittle doesn't go through your mask, that kind of stuff. <laughs> you're quite capable of that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I you have am. little so bullet holes in, in your mask. Yeah. Oh, good Lord. So, so that's the, those COVID protocols have been very different shoot to shoot to shoot. And that is predicated by budget and the size of the shoots. 
really. Every week on our show, we like to give a shout out to some of the many establishments, bars, and restaurants that we've been able to frequent during our years on the road. And today, I'd like to give a shout out to the Golden Tiki in Las Vegas, Nevada. The Golden Tiki is the coolest tiki bar I have ever been to. They've got fantastic cocktails and amazing atmosphere. Next time you're in Vegas, check it out. The Golden Tiki, thegoldentiki.com. Well, I, I was asked uh, a little while ago if I would be interested in going on a, a seven-month contract to be a, a, a console operator. Uh, when I started hearing, okay, you'll be the gr- you'll be on the green team because there's a green, a red, and a yellow team, and you switch yeah. out and you get mm-hmm. transported from here to there, and you have to stay over here, and, and like these are the the major pictures that are being shot up here, which. It's insane how much is being shot up in Toronto right now. It's crazy. And and Yeah, no, it, it, it is. One of the actually one Lisa Shimada, who's one of our guests on the show, is a, a big publicist and she heads up her union efforts as well um, in Toronto. And she was talking about it because she does all the big, big movies up there. And um, she she seemed to feel as I do, honestly, on the big movies, because they they don't want the film to shut down. We've nope. had plenty of shows in LA shut down and it's catastrophic. It's expensive. When a show goes down, it means that you're paying for stages, you're paying for rented props, you're paying talent, you're you're paying any number of people for the number of days that you are down. And typically down here it seems to be a week or two at least to try and figure out, you know, what what's actually going on and how far the COVID infections spread. Um, the show that I'm on right now, before I started it, they shut down just before Christmas and it shut them down for the duration of Christmas um, towards, I think they were shut down about mid-December instead of shooting right up until Christmas. So it, it does happen. And, you know, in as much as Tom Cruise, you know, uh, flipped out on a couple of crew members not too long ago. I think we all heard it on oh, the Oh, yeah, news. The, the very, very um, famous. Uh... And, yeah. And he got a lot of flack for it. Um, He's I, right. I, he, he is right. Perhaps his expression, his way be. of expressing his concern um, was um, a little loud. But, you know, that comes out of a sincere fear. Because I think on that film, he was probably also one of the producers, I'm betting. I, I bet he was executive producer with a lot of money in know. it, too. Yeah. 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 It's, well, it's not just a money thing. It's just that um, there is, from my EP experience, I, I you feel a significant burden of... Uh, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but you feel the burden of responsibility in terms of keeping the team, keeping yeah. the talent, everybody really safe. And you do that anyways in normal times, but COVID just doubles down with any of that yeah. because it's such an insidious disease and it's so easy for it to spread. So um, I, I completely understood why he got so angry, but it was coming out of a deep, deep fear on his part as well right. um, for everybody well, to make a living too. Yeah. And it, you know, like you said, when you're when you're dealing with some of these major motion picture productions, shutting down for a COVID outbreak, think of the contact tracing that needs to happen. Yeah. How many people were on set? Each each person that was on set, you then need to delve into who they've been in contact with, where where were they shopping, where did this come from. And all of that needs to be solved before the production can start up again. Yeah, 
It is. And and the forms that they sent, they were sending us, as you have probably seen, Andrew, you know, the forms that they send out digitally, they do make that query, who have you come into contact with? Yeah. As you do each test, who have you come into contact with on your last shoot day? What department mm-hmm. and how did that play itself out? And they're they're trying their best. It's very insidious and and you know, it doesn't necessarily come down to somebody making a conscious mistake or somebody breaking rules. It comes down, sometimes it can just come down to bad luck. You know, yeah, you're on your way out yeah. of a building and you yeah. touch the wrong doorknob and boom, you're, yeah. you're done. Well, that's where they, yeah. up here, I don't know if they do down there, but when you go into a grocery store, they, they spray the handles down. They, they spray your hands before oh, yeah. we grab the, the, uh, the, the cart. And, and I always go, well, can I have an extra? I start wiping down like all of the cart, not just the handles. Because <laughs> yeah. I know when I'm over getting my Cheerios that I'm going to grab the side of the cart or the front of the cart. Or my seven-year-old has been licking the side of the cart. Ew. Oh, that's gross. <laughs> oh, it's just, it's hair raising. It's, it's absolutely hair raising. But that, you know, that stress level that we're all going through is happening on set in a way that I didn't really realize until I was in full director's mode on some of these sh- these shows or projects. And, and I realized that my brain, like particularly in docu-world, you're always looking for that serendipitous moment of magic that you didn't anticipate, right? From a, as you're prepping your days and, and whatever in your stories, you are always looking for that serendipitous moment. And I found as a, as a director that, that those moments were just so hard to parse out with my COVID anxiety ridden brain as I'm, you know, it just wears you down. So my, I found that my creativity levels were really impacted um, by that, by keep, mm. by being aware of keeping everybody safe and by just trying to get my job done and get out of the day safely, right? That's and deliver the, the job properly. That's a very interesting point for everybody going through this, like you yeah. going through this, this COVID fatigue and how does that affect oh, yeah. the creative mind? From a, whether you're writing books or writing screenplays or or doing some sort of creative film work, an artist, a musician, is there going to be a whole genre of film and music and and theater that's more depressing than it used to be for this period of time? Uh, our, yeah. our artwork's going to lose their their color. We'll have to go get that colorist again to brighten it up. I think it's it's gathering in groups definitely I think impacts and in- increases your anxiety but you know I think many of us one of the reasons we got the podcast up and running was because we were sheltering in place much more so than we ever would be and we're not distracted by whatever it was all the <laughs> the things that we were doing before and I think that from a writing standpoint it's been an incredibly fruitful experience for many of my peers and myself uh, in terms of digging down into development. And I, and I think that thinking outside the box, like I've, I don't know if you guys know it or not, but um, you know, I've been interviewing our aunties and my dad, uh, just sort of digging into our wonderful, colorful, um, biracial uh, family that seems to be this, uh, this global entity that is very reflective you know, of, of many, many different people from all over the world. And so I started doing interviews with, with extended family and, and I'm, I'm writing a, a screenplay based on one of their love stories and I'm doing a doc based on another, another person's life story. And, and I'm, I, I'm, I'm coming to realize that as a creative, the stuff that I really love to do 
my my side projects are all inspired by the colorful family that I come out of. I don't know if you guys went through this, but that time to sort of dig down and kind of figure out what it is that you want to keep doing marching forward, because there's going to be another pandemic. I'm convinced of it. Um, what can we focus our time on as as working artists in, in the entertainment business that will be even more satisfying on many levels? Um, and, and so that's I had some time to do that this this past year, and that was really that's been really satisfying. So do you, do you, do you see a, a place down the road for for theaters for movie theaters like AMC or whoever the are, are, oh yeah yeah you think the audience yeah. will come back on a Friday night and watch well there's still a there's still this kind of archaic requirement to get an Academy Award for a film you have to have it released theatrically first it has to. So um, in some way, shape or form, whether that's the festival circuit and the festival circuit is going to still be, we think, still alive and well, because that's where a lot of distribution deals are struck still with filmmakers that have independently financed their films, whether they're documentaries or scripted. And then, you know, the Netflix or the Amazons of the world are trolling, formerly were trolling all of the festivals to try and find content um, and then make an offer. Like a friend of mine made a doc about his family. It took about four years of cobbling it together between other jobs that he was shooting. But he made this really lovely family-centric documentary and um, and it was very much a family sort of affair in terms of pulling it together. Um, but uh, he ended up selling it to Netflix for upper six figures. And, and that floated his boat for quite a while. You want to make something because otherwise there won't be any content creators left at the end of the day if we can't make that additional sum. And I, and I think that, you know, my, my origin story comes out of York University in Toronto and I was, a, um, I was accepted into that program um, to be classically trained as an actor and they've got a great program there for performers. Um, I really enjoyed it and uh, when I got out and started working pretty much immediately um, I got my, my, my union card through doing uh, CBC radio dramas initially, and then commercials, and then films, um, and some TV. And, and that, that sort of um, start uh, was a great way, actually, for, for me to, to learn how to be an artist. But I really wish that I could have had the time to get a diploma as an attorney and has uh, gotten a, a master's degree in business because I really, uh, it's taken me a while to kind of acquire the headspace of a business owner um, and a working artist. It's, it's uh, I can do left and right brain, but to be able to sort of watch your back and, and not be broke all the time is um, a, a very, very good thing that we don't understand as we kind of, as artists move into the business, because you just want the job. Like, you, you don't care how much you're getting paid. You just want to go and do the job, and there's everything, and you should be doing that. But at a certain point in your career, you're going to have to be very clear of what your margins are, because the, the, the more you can kind of build up your reserves, it will allow you to grow, and uh, grow as a filmmaker, grow as an artist of all stripes and it will give you freedom in a way that you never really conceived of when you were coming up through film school or acting school or whatever it was, whatever creative school you're coming in. And, and I wish there was more of that education um, for young artists because that money does equal freedom in this business as it does, I think, you know, anywhere. It's time to take my shout out to Texas. 
San Antonio to be exact, and my friends at the Esquire Tavern. The tavern was opened in 1933 to celebrate the end of Prohibition, and it has been a beloved watering hole ever since. It's located at 155 East Commerce Street. The downstairs portion is directly on the beautiful Riverwalk. It offers delicious Texas fare, cold beer, and as they say, swanky cocktails. It's been featured on Bravo.com, in the New York Times, and has received a James Beard nomination. On top of great food and beverages, they also have an Art-O-Matic that has rotating art you can buy for five bucks. If you're down that way and have a hunger for good food and cold drink in a casual setting, look them up at EsquireTavern-SA.com. Thanks and I hope to see you there. There seems to be a lot of actors who go behind the camera that suddenly become amazing directors. Uh, yeah. You know, like obviously the George Clooney and For like sure. Jodie Foster and, and people like that. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, I think a lot. I think that, you know, apart from a natural eye, there there is a comfort that that the actors, the performers are going to feel with a former actor or a current actor directing. If you are an actor's director and you know what it feels like and you know what the process is, uh, in, in, in many ways, it's, it's easier to get the best performance out. I'm not saying that as a general rule, but I would imagine that that, you know, going back to my old days of, of acting, if somebody could give me a, a, a starting point that I could relate to, it was much easier to go through that process. Yeah, and it's a language, right? Acting is like learning a new language. And it's also being aware of having that empathy as a director because, you know, there is a difference between directing television, scripted series, and directing real people in documentaries and directing in in feature films, because in directing in feature films, you very much are that auteur where it's your vision as a director that you're working with your team and they are there to help you execute a vision. Whereas um, on a television series, typically, you know, directors that, that step in, unless you're the director that, that kicks the series off with the pilot and is working with the, um, with the showrunners to really kind of get the look and feel of that show, typically the directors that are stepping in week to week and shooting different, um, different different shows within the series they're just there for the week and so their job is very much to have that empathy and understanding of what's demanded um, in the fast pace of shooting TV which is extraordinary um, having that empathy to be able to and the language to be able to work with those artists quickly um, and and 10 to 1 you know I was I uh, watching actors that have been on a series for a long period of time are kind of self-directing uh, if not holistically self-directing after a while because they know the characters usually much better than the director or the new director that's stepping in. Um, they will give the new directors feedback in many respects about not only themselves but other characters and how they how the, that interrelationship works. Right. And those new directors, it's, I, I, I'm really, uh, I have a lot of respect for the d directors that do series uh, broadcast um, and series, series work of any sort because you have to have a very high level of humility. So uh, it's, it's, it's really an, an interesting art form and it's very different uh, for, for directors between, 
between those different projects. And, and then with, with docs, um, my acting experience really has helped from the standpoint of looking at what real people are doing from a performance standpoint. Does this, does this feel sincere? Because when I'm shooting with real people, there is a period of time for real people to get used to a camera being around. And there's a, it, not that it's insincere, but there's, there's a level of awareness that you don't want with real people shooting documentary work. You want the camera just to feel like it's a fly on the wall, right? Cinema verte. And, and you, you, you want that person to be as quickly as possible, incredibly comfortable with having you in the room shooting with them so that they start to forget that you're there. And it does get to that point, but having, being able to recognize that discomfort because, of it, because it's a performance-based thing, even though it's a real person, um, has helped a lot that training that we got as actors and recognizing what that feels like to give a performance that really isn't thoroughly baked in creatively. You come to recognize that otherwise in, in many other art forms. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. I, I, I actually forget Andrew's there quite often. <laughs> <laughs> I never forget that Andrew is there. <laughs> and I'm incredibly grateful to both of you. It's it's amazing that we're that we're all still in the entertainment business. Like I'm just I'm I am I am filled with awe that we are still standing, all of us. Awe. <laughs> <laughs> and Starbucks didn't want to pay me the the money that I wanted. No, no. Yeah, 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 yeah. So did you ever think that you may have to do something else? during this like I mean, no you know i had come off a really big year so i had a little bit of a slush fund oh that's <laughs> and uh yeah that speaking of slush funds so i had a little bit of a slush fund going and um i while i was nervous about you know what was going to happen because it's also you know looking out for your team it's like what's going to happen to everybody and uh work kicked in for me pretty quickly actually surprisingly quickly because we had a lot of clients that were panicked about how do we keep you know how do we keep the the momentum up in terms of what our brand is going through and how do we tell the story of support you know for our customers and that sort of thing so from a, a commercial standpoint i was working is there is there anything that like looking forward now that you're you seem to be doing okay mm -hmm. and you know what i really wanted to touch on was your photography because a lot of your work over the years has been going off and shooting background stuff for films for major productions oh uh, yeah queen of the side hustle that's me yeah so <laughs> it's I, I i'm a working photographer and i kind of love a side hustle as an artist because you can, it's really about exploiting something you already really love to do. And so when I've been sent off by Universal or Disney or whatever to go off and shoot projects in other parts of the world, I usually will take my day off um, and I'll go and shoot stills in all these different areas, whether it's, I don't know, Africa or Thailand or Romania or wherever it is, Italy. And those, and I just shoot what appeals to me. There, I have no assignment, there's no agenda. If anything, I've stood in, in dark alleys, like in Tokyo, um, that have just been cleaned off by their pristine cleaning crews. And I've shot walls in these alleyways and they've turned into beautiful pieces of art. Um, and I've sold them. I've, so I've, I've had this side hustle of selling imagery to um, art directors and set decorators in Hollywood. Uh, as art on their shows. And I've, I was on, uh, actually one of the best sales I think I ever made was on John Mulaney's short-lived uh, comedy series. And they needed, um, I knew the set decorator, she called me up and, and I sent my portfolio over and they ended up building an art gallery of 
my work, all of my, not all my photos, but 28 pieces, all black and white. Wow. And they created an art gallery. And that was where the scene happened with John, <sighs> John Mulaney. They even had like my picture and the artist's bio, like the artist statement sort of thing. It was mm -hmm. the whole thing. And 5 million people saw my art that day. And it was a nice, uh, and it was art that I'd shot all over the world. And it didn't cost me anything to do. It gave me a lot of pleasure. And you get a very nice licensing fee to use. And I didn't have to frame it. You're just literally making an agreement to license out those digital files for the duration of the show. And it's not an exclusive. And it, I just, you know, I was on all kinds of shows, Weeds, Parks and Recs. Um, I've been on a bunch of Netflix shows uh, recently. And it's just a great, I mean, I do encourage artists to think about this. Is there a side hustle in your wheelhouse of stuff that you like to do um, that you can make money in your sleep doing? Like to me, that photography job was kind of like making money in my sleep because it just built up this giant library of imagery that uh, uh, other folks could dip into and go, oh yeah, this, 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 and this. How much will it cost to license that? And that was, that was a great way to do stuff and still is. <laughs> And and so you're are you still you're still doing a lot of that? Like mind no, you, you're not getting out. Of, you're not getting out. No, of I'm not. I'm not getting it. out. Yeah. No, the library is still there. I still do get requests for imagery, um, but there hasn't been a lot of it recently. A because production's been down holistically, right in right. L.A. It's it's now starting and kicking back in, which is great. Um, but I haven't been out either. And quite honestly, my focus at this point is. I'm directing a lot. Um, my production company is very busy um, as well from an EP standpoint, from me EP work in addition to. So I, I'm just not as focused on the photography as I have been in the past because of just the lovely pressure of doing my dream job, which I got nothing to complain about. <laughs> yeah. That'll just make it that much more fresh when you return to it. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, I love portraiture. My, my favorite thing, apart from going out and, and shooting, you know, imagery around the world. Otherwise I love doing portraiture and that, um, I've done more of that. Um, and as a sort of part of the marketing team, um, actually with JJ, she hired, she hired me for a bunch of things. I did an NBC show that was, um, a music series and ended up shooting with bands like, um, one Republic, um, uh, TLC. It was a look back show. So I ended up doing all of their uh, portrait work uh, for these bands and it was so much fun and it helped me to stretch being able to do that. It's called a gallery. You become a gallery photographer and so you're, you're going to all these different locations and you set up a big white box and I had a photography team. Um, I had a couple of ACs, um, uh, assistant camera folks, um, that helped me to set up this big white box in these great locations all over. And, and then we would, you know, I would basically act as director photographer when talent, the bands would come in and I would position them and we'd have fun. And it was just, it was so much fun with those kind with that kind of work as well. Very pressure filled. Uh, but, uh, having a team to support me as opposed to just being a lone photographer out there doing the thing. Uh, having that team there is, is a lot of fun. And I've shot fashion like that as well, but fashion's a different beast and you end up becoming an art director as opposed to a photographer. Though, you do make a lot of money. If you do it regularly, it starts at like 5,000 a day for the photographer. Usually is more like a you know a $10,000 payout a, a day baseline for a photographer doing fashion. So for all you photographers out there, really rethink the fashion widget because that's these days, that's where you're gonna make your money. We're gonna get yeah. a few more rolls of film and, and start trying. 
Yeah, I'll 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 put you in some high heels and, sh- and shoot you this. No, that's not part. what I mean. Well, that's not what you mean. No. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, we have the one last thing we always try to do with our our guest is to do our little shout out, and this is our uh, shout out to restaurants and that we have been to anywhere in North America that are like the best places that we like to go back to, and. Uh, I I think you may have one. I do have a shout out. No, no, actually, I, I've got a shout out here in LA that most people don't know about. I don't even know if it's still up and running. I'm hoping to goodness it is. It's, uh, uh, you know, the, you know, the series Chef's Table. Well, yes. these guys, these guys do that level of cooking and it's called Cali Restaurant. I want to do a shout out to them. They're on Melrose Avenue in the Larchmont area of Hollywood. And um, you can go to their website at Cali, K-A-L-I, restaurant.com. They do the most wonderful artistic expression of food that I've, I've had here in Los Angeles. You know, we're all big fans of the, the trucks, the food trucks, all yep. of that. But this is the place where you go where literally a piece of art lands on your plate and you, you, you deconstruct it and eat it. And it's, it usually is one of the most unique flavors delicious flavors and they really know how to pair wine so cali restaurants is what i would suggest do i need to be a photographer for about four or five days before i can afford to go down to a cali (laughs) restaurant (laughs) no go for lunch my trick in la is i go for lunch uh and and moza is another place just up the street from these guys also on on melrose uh it's a pizzeria but it's a fancy pizzeria if you can't go, if you can't afford mainstream dinners, which quite frankly, I'm not willing to part with my cold, hard cash at this point for, for big ticket uh, dinners. I'm so sorry to say this out loud, but it's true. I go for lunch and it's, and you still get the same lovely, incredible food. Yeah. So why not? Yeah. There's a lot of places that, uh, I know that people who, you know, if you, if you're going to go to a place and drop like four or $500 at dinner, you could have a delicious, amazing lunch for 75 bucks. That most that's places. because you're not buying the wine, Dave. Oh, that's true. <laughs> so true. Yeah. So that's that's my suggestion. But uh, Cali is is definitely one of them. There's so many. You come to L.A. If anyone comes to L.A., oh my gosh, this is an eating town. It doesn't seem like it, but because everyone seems to be so slim. But we all save our calories, I think, for lunch. So that and then starve for the rest of the time. I think that's how this goes. Well, <laughs> I'll leave it on that note. Because I'm not going to touch that with a 10-foot pole. <laughs> but I want to thank you, Karen, for, for hanging out and putting up with us. And uh, it's been great having you. Andrew and I will just uh, chat for a bit. and we're gonna, We'll just mute you so you can't say anything. And you can listen to us just do our clothes because it's fantastic. It's probably the, one of the best parts of the show is when people know we're not going to be on for very much longer. Thanks, so, guys. <laughs> so thanks very much, Karen, and uh, and we'll uh, we'll hope to see you uh, at some family reunion in the next uh, twelve months, twenty four months, or whatever. Twenty four thirty six. I'm looking 48. forward to a cold Canadian beer right now. Oh, that might just happen right after this podcast for me. I might be just going right to the fridge, get ready for dinner and hockey. Oh, I'm supposed to go get uh, Indian food tonight, actually. So, courtesy of Mama. Anyway, thanks very much, Karen. We'll Bye, guys. See, we'll see you around. Okay, she's muted. She can't say a friggin' word to us. It's now. It's now. We can just go at her. Thank God, <laughs> that's what? over. Jesus, that was like the longest thing ever. <laughs>
you know, the best the best part would have been recording all of the technical side of it at the beginning. We would have that that would be we should just you know we'll do one podcast of just outtakes technical outtakes. I think she, we got to do that at some point. The one thing she because she was running around uh, getting ready and the the whole gardener bit. She, oh, oh, Ru- she, Ruben. She she has no idea <laughs> that the whole thing was recorded. And I think the introduction will be her yelling out the window at Ruben. It has <laughs> to be. It has to be. Technical yeah. shenanigans. <laughs> that's, what, that's what she just put up. Ruben, she, she keep it down. Yeah, keep it down and watch my petunias. <laughs> anyway, that was great. It was, uh, it was great to, to catch up with her and, uh, and, and add her into our bevy of five. Uh, recordings that we have now. It's our, growing every week. I don't it, understand it. Bi-weekly. It's, Bi- what, yes, no, bi-weekly. No, is it bi-weekly? Bi- bi-monthly. It's every 14 days. No, it's bi-weekly. Is That's it? bi-weekly. Yeah. Okay. I've got to go weeks. check. Apparently bi-weekly. I am getting a yes, it is bi-weekly. Yeah. Dave, shut up. You know, it's just more Latin that's that's being introduced to you it's you, you'll be fine well my problem is i don't understand latin and latin was the basis for the english language so i've i can't catch up you've got a bigger problem yes yeah yeah but uh, andrew i think uh i we've got a bunch of these things lined up we got we got a killer one with uh, we've been threatening to have that insurance guy on and yes. i got the okay that he will talk to us. So that is going to be a, a big one. Uh, and we have not done our uh, COVID safety chat. That's just you and me as well. So we need to that's get right. that done. Yeah. Boy, we'll oh boy. We'll have to open up some space in the calendar for that one. We have a lot of calendar space available, I think, to uh, to put some more podcasts in. So anyway, thanks very much, Karen, our guest. Thank you, Andrew my co-host and uh, we'll see you again something like that ciao take care bye bye now well andrew again i'd say that's a wrap we want to thank our guests for joining us and sharing their experiences we would also really like to thank you the listener for your time and support of this podcast And don't forget that we're all in it together. So help out where you can and support everyone going through tough times right now. We hope to see everybody back on the road soon. See you later.